if you're alive and awake at all and interact with people at all, there's plenty of awkward moments in our lives, right? Throughout our weeks, interacting with people, awkward everywhere. And the closer you are to someone, do you realize how awkward it gets? Like if you're really close with someone and there's an intimacy you share with that person, if something goes sideways or south with them, things can get awkward really fast. A couple examples. So as a kid, you grew up with a group of friends maybe in elementary school, high school, you spent a lot of time together, did all kinds of stuff, and then life happened, and you went separate ways. And maybe you haven't seen those old friends in decades. And when you see them for the first time again, it could be really awesome, or it could be really awkward, right? Or, or go a little bit further. You have a neighbor or a friend from the fire department, or you, you know, just some buddy, some lady you've hung out with, you've had them into your home, you've been in their homes, you've celebrated birthdays together, maybe even gone on vacations together. There's a season in your life that you're really close with these people, and then life happens, and you go your separate ways. Not because anything's necessarily wrong, it just, I don't know, the rhythms and seasons of life change, and you move in different directions, and you're different now, and they're different now, and maybe you'll see them at a party, and it could be really awesome when you see them, or it can be really awkward. How about the whole ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend thing, right? I mean, has that happened to you? So I was with this girl for a lot of years, had a wedding ring, bought plans of getting married, all that fun jazz, and things end abruptly, and then it's like 10 years till I see her again, and we're like, hey, 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 like, should I hug you? This is awkward. How's your husband? Like, what do you do? It's awkward when you've been close. How about a coworker? You're in the trenches working hard. Work is so interesting because we spend lots of hours with our coworkers, bosses, supervisors, and we're in the thick of it with someone for a long time, and then life happens, and we go in different directions, and it can be awkward to see them at Wegmans. Have you been there? And maybe more awkward than any of it is if you really love someone, right? And you commit your life to them, and you get married, and you join hearts and parts together, and then something goes south in your life and in your relationship, and you go separate directions, and you think that the awkward is gonna go away with the divorce, but it doesn't, right? And you see that person. Are we supposed to love these types of individuals? I mean, if you're close with someone and then you drift apart and haven't seen them for decades, are you supposed to love them? If you're close with someone and your lives are different and they become different and you become different, are you supposed to still love these individuals? Are you supposed to love your former coworkers? You don't work together or the same company any longer. Should you avoid them at Wegmans or Walmart? And the person that's broken trust with you, that's hurt you badly, are you supposed to still love that person? I mean, the answer overwhelmingly from the Bible is yes, that there's no category of awkward where we cannot or are not commanded to love. Not one category. The overarching teaching of the Bible is love. It's love one another. Whatever the brokenness, whatever the dysfunction, whatever the differences, whatever the disagreements, it's to love people. And isn't this what we see Jesus do? I mean, is there a category of people that Jesus walked to the other side of the grocery store because he didn't want to see them? Or is it in every situation he walks into circumstances with people, whatever their political background, whatever their dysfunction, whatever their brokenness, whatever their problems, Jesus walks in and loves people, even the people that are closest to him. So like Jesus has this inner circle of friends. There's one guy, Judas, 
betrays Jesus. Did Jesus stop loving Judas when he betrayed him? Or Peter, his best bud, totally throws Jesus under the bus. Does Jesus stop loving Peter because Peter betrayed him, denied him? Is that where it starts and stops? No, in every category, Jesus from a distance with strangers and people he hardly knows, also up close and personal, he loves in every situation and in every circumstance. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what the Jesus models. And it's also how Jesus loves you and me. I mean, do you realize how awkward you are to love? Right? I mean, think of how many times I've said to Jesus, I love you, I'll obey you, I'll follow you. And Jesus loves me in those moments. And how many times I've said, Jesus, I'll never do that again. And I find myself doing the exact things that I said I would never do. Does Jesus' love start and stop based on how I interact with him? So on the days that I'm walking with Jesus, he loves me. And the days I'm not walking with Jesus, he loves me. The days I'm obeying him, he loves me. And the days I disobey him, he loves me. Jesus loves me. And if this is the teaching of the Bible, and this is what Jesus demonstrated and how Jesus interacts, there's no person or situation, including your ex, that you are not commanded and invited to love. And here's how I'll define X, because we all hear that in a certain way. My X, here's how I'll define it, is someone that was close and trusted, and they moved from close and trusted to not close and not trusted. You see, we all have X's. We all have people we've shared our lives with, we've shared our time with, our money with, our hearts with, our fears, our joys. We've had people we shared our lives with. Something has happened that's broken that trust and now I can't share my time, my money, my joys, my fears, my hopes, my dreams with you, my heart any longer. I don't trust you. We all have ex-friends, ex-spouses, ex-girlfriends, ex-bosses, ex-pastors, ex-people in our lives. Are we supposed to love and walk into that awkward as well as any other situation, the answer is yes. And I think most of us get that. I think most of us want that. We go, I get it, I get it, stop telling me to love. But how do I do it? That's what we're gonna work on today, the how question. So if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, open it up, turn it on. Romans chapter 12, verses nine through 18. And as you get there, I'd like to pray. Father, thank you that we can open up the Bible. Thank you that we have your truth in our hands and we can look at it and learn from it. There are awkward situations everywhere and we are designed, invited, commanded to love. So show us how today. We want to love, but we find ourselves in situations, especially with people that have broken trust with us, we find ourselves wondering how we're supposed to do it. So would you help us right now, God? Would your spirit work here on campus, online, or wherever anyone's listening to this to grow in how we love? I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Romans chapter 12, the author is Paul. He writes, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor 
serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with each other. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I mean, this is one of those run-on sentences that the Apostle Paul throws at us. It's got like everything and it's like, oh my gosh, this is so overwhelming. But there's so much practical advice in here. Even if we would just take one thing from this sort of giant teaching on love, so much for helping us deal with awkward situations. He talks about love being sincere, hating evil, being devoted, faithful, honorable, joyful in hope, patient when things are hard, faithful in prayer. He talks about being hospitable and sharing with other people, blessing people instead of cursing people. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Don't be proud or conceited. I mean, if we loved in just one of these ways this week, there'd be less awkward in our lives. But I want to zoom in on just one verse this morning with you. It's verse 18. If it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I want you to look at that. I mean, look at it in your Bible if you have it there. Underline and highlight it. Look at it on the screens, wherever you are. Look at this verse. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men, I, I, with everyone. I remember the first time I really slowed down and looked at this verse, I have a mentor who said to me in my early 20s, Joe, look at this verse. Slow down, stop, look at it. Joe, you could have a life of peace if you decided, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so I, I want you to stop and just look at it because I didn't notice it in the verses full of lots of truth, like just to look at this. And I want you to do something with me. I want you to read this words, these words out loud with me, wherever you are at home here on campus. If it is possible, let's go. Are you ready? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Is there a category that we're not supposed to live at peace with someone? No, as far as it's up to you, Live at peace with everyone. How do I do that? I'm glad you asked. Living at peace with everyone is how I love my ex. I mean, this is love. Love is choosing to live at peace. And peace in this context, he's talking about the absence of war, the absence of conflict, that you have someone close to you and you're living in conflict with them, and you've broken trust, or they've broken trust. He's like, as far as it's up to you, don't live at conflict. Don't live at war with someone. And you could just go, oh, okay, I think I know what you mean. Like, all right, I'm supposed to, I might not have a relationship anymore, but I'm just supposed to not have drama. I'm not supposed to say bad things. I'm outwardly not supposed to fan into flame difficulty or hardship or war or tension. Okay, I got that. But he, he means more than that. It's living at peace, 
not just exterior peace where we're not arguing, yelling at each other, throwing fists or being mean. He's talking about no hostile feelings towards anyone. Zero. No category where we go, I hate you and I wish you were. He's saying it's not just the outside drama. It's not just the conflict of words or conflict in body. It's I can live in such a way that I hate them or I can live in such a way where you've hurt me but I'm at peace with you. And that's love. But how do I do it? Let's keep going. Living at peace with my ex requires understanding. This is so simple. Understanding that people change. Do, do you change? If we're going to apply this teaching, live at peace with all people, if we're going to apply this, we have to ask the question, do people change? And the answer is yes, you change. And some ways you change for the good, and some ways you change for the not so good. True? And some ways the people in your, in your life, they change for good and not good ways. Is God alive and working in you? Is he changing and growing you? Is it possible with your ex, a person you're in conflict with, is it possible that he is alive and working in them too? Is God alive and active and working? I have to have a category for the fact that people are always changing. I'm changing, you're changing, seasons in life are changing. I appreciate Romans 12, 12 here. He says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. In, in prayer. It's like God is at work and I have this choice that as I see people and I interact with people, even people that have broken trust with me, can I be joyful in hope that God is at work, patient in the midst of this tension, prayerful that he's changing me and other people. I think for most of us, we think life is always going to be the same. And so the friends that are in my life, the people in my life, it's going to be exactly the same way next week as it was last week. And that's just not reality. People change. There might be a person in your life, you call them an ex-friend. They're actually just an old friend. They're just somebody that life brought them into your life and life brought them out of your life. And it's okay that you're not as close. And it's okay that you're different and they're different. And it's okay that things change. But it's amazing how many problems we have or drama we have because we're trying to control everything and keep it the same way it's always been. Friends and relationships cannot be controlled. And if you can't, I can't get my mind around the fact the God of the universe is the only one who doesn't change and he is working in me and in my relationships. He's bringing people into my life and taking people out of my life. There's people that are closer sometimes and less close other times. Friends that come on one level, friends that go. Seasons of up and seasons of down. Maybe your old friend is out of the picture now, but the next months or decade, they're gonna be back into your life again. But if you're all about drama and finger pointing and control, you're actually not leaving room for God to work and change you and them. Maybe living at peace with everyone is just being okay with the fact that God never changes, but I do, and so do you, and relationships move, and it's okay. Living at peace with my ex requires forgiveness. 
Colossians 3, if you have your Bibles, flip to the right. Colossians 3, 12 and 13. Colossians 3, 12 through 13. Living at peace with my ex requires forgiveness. Yeah, I said it, the F word. Did you hear it? Forgiveness. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You see, God rescued me from my old way of living and brought me into a new way of living. And my old clothes, my own interactions were full of shame and sin. I was angry, rageful, vengeful, hate hated people, but now as a son or daughter, God says, clothe yourself in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. These are the new clothes that I'm designed by God to wear into every relationship. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another if you have any grievance against someone. Bear with each other, forgive one another if you have any grievance against someone. Your ex broke trust with you. This family, friend, maybe someone you were romantically inclined to, maybe a spouse, they broke trust with you. You're hurt by them, I get it. But as a follower of Christ, you're no longer clothed with anger and hate. You're clothed with kindness and gentleness, yes, you are hurt or were hurt in the past. But he says, forgive any grievance. But you don't realize, Joe, what they've done to hurt me is really bad. They betrayed me. They disowned me. They abused me. They slandered me. Forgive any grievance is the command. Why? Why should I? Paul answers. Why should I forgive? He says in verse 13, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Bear each other's burdens, forgive one another as long as you have a grievance against each other. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Think of the list of grievances God has against you. How long is it? How wide is it? How deep is it? And yet he forgives you. You broke trust with God how many times? And he forgives you. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Jesus teaches this in Matthew 6. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? And then it gets to the point where it says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus is like, here's how you're supposed to pray. You're supposed to say to God, forgive me and help me to forgive others, right? And we want God to forgive us and we know that when we ask God for forgiveness, he grants forgiveness to us. We often forget out of the Lord's Prayer, verse 14, where Jesus says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Oh, we don't like that part of the Our Father, do we? Wait, seriously, Jesus? You're, you're saying to me that if I don't forgive, you're not gonna forgive me? You, you, know, you wanna know why you might be at tension with your ex? Maybe it's because you're withholding forgiveness. You're not willing 
to forgive. You want God to forgive you. You want other people to forgive you, but you're unwilling to give that forgiveness to other people. Jesus says, if you don't forgive them, then you're not forgiven. Oh, you don't know, Joe, what they've done. And the answer is no, I don't, but God does. And his command is forgive. It it, it doesn't matter if I know or what I think about whether you should or shouldn't. Jesus says, if you don't forgive them, you won't be forgiven. Why? Why would Jesus, this guy who's so gracious and kind and forgives everybody, why would he say this? I think the reason he's teaching this is I can only give what I first received. I can only give what I first received. So we love others because God first loved us. We forgive others because God first forgave us. If you have been loved you love. If you have been forgiven, you forgive. We receive these things from God and we're intended to be a conduit, like a pipeline of love and forgiveness to other people. But if God has given you love and forgiveness and you're clogging up the pipeline, Jesus says, that is sin. It's wrong. It dishonors God's love and forgiveness. You're cutting off the love and forgiveness he is pouring into you intended to go to other people. And he's like, quit it. That's sin. I'll insert this disclaimer. Don't confuse I forgive you with I trust you. Separate, right? Let me separate that out so you can see and understand this. I can forgive you, but that doesn't mean I trust you. Separate things, right? You want to live at peace with everyone? You forgive any grievance. Ask God to give you that ability. Ask him to give you that ability. And and unfortunately, one of the reasons we're not able to give forgiveness is because we asked God to forgive us once 30 years ago. We asked God into our hearts once 20 years days ago, and we think that's enough, instead of living in a constant pipeline of receiving his forgiveness and love and giving it, the reason I can't give it is because I'm not receiving it, because I think once and done, I prayed to ask God to forgive me of my sins, as if it's this once done thing instead of a constant life. So maybe one of the things you do if you're having tension with your ex is you say, God, show me my own sin. Show me my faults before you. Help me to have a clear picture of how I have failed you, how I have broken trust with you, how I have abused you, how I have mistreated you. Show me my sin that I might come to you and ask for forgiveness again and with fresh eyes aware of all my brokenness and crud and I receive the love of God and the forgiveness of God again then as a pipeline of conduit, I share that forgiveness and love with other people. Maybe the reason you can't forgive someone is because you just don't know how crappy you are. You think you're the best and you got it all together. Instead of in a relationship going, man, maybe I should look at myself first and see how God sees me. And if before God I can receive love and forgiveness, if I can make things right between me and God, maybe not salvation, but just this daily interaction where I'm broken before him and I understand I make mistakes and I'm aware of his love and forgiveness, as I receive that vertically, I have something to give horizontally to other people. Are you at peace with God? Or are you just coasting along, counting on something you asked for decades ago? 
Are you aware and keeping short accounts with God, confessing your sin to him and saying, I'm broken, I'm messed up, I'm a failure, I'm a fraud, forgive me, help me, pour your love and grace into my life? Because as you do that, you're able to give it to other people. Maybe the reason you're not experiencing forgiveness in your relationship is because you have to look at yourself a little closer in the mirror. But just because I forgive you doesn't mean I trust you. Right? I can give forgiveness with God's help, but I don't trust you. Living at peace with my ex requires trust to be built and rebuilt over time. Right? So my mom is my hero. She's like the funniest, best person I ever met. She makes me laugh, and she's a sincere follower of Christ, though she doesn't quote verses. She doesn't pray good. She doesn't lead a small group. She doesn't on the outside look like she's like a serious Christ follower, but she has walked with Jesus for decades through really difficult things, and she has a sincere faith. And her mom growing up was an alcoholic, so my mom had to learn how to love her mom as a kid and an adult while her mom broke trust over and over and over and over again. And so I'm like, God, God how did you teach her this? What, how did she learn this? And my mom would say to me, still does, that the way to deal with that is to detach from someone with love, that I can love you and I forgive you, but I don't trust you. I back up a little bit. I back up a little bit. Just because I love you and just because I forgive you, I create space for this trust to be rebuilt. I mean, isn't this what God does in the Garden of Eden? Flashback in your mind, God makes man and woman, puts them in the garden, says don't. Adam and Eve do what God says not to do. Did God stop loving them? Did God not forgive Adam and Eve? No, he forgave them, but he took them out of the garden and block the way so that they couldn't go back into that same situation again. God continued to love Adam and Eve and forgave them, but he didn't trust them. And that's what we must do in relationship. I love you, I forgive you, but I don't trust you. I will be joyful in hope, I will be patient in this affliction, I will be faithful in prayer, but trust is rebuilt over time. Forgiveness in a second, trust rebuilt over time, it's kind of like putting a penny in a jar. If I put a penny in a jar, one penny every day, how many pennies do I have? How much money do I have after a year? Come on, class. 365 pennies, $3.65. Think of that like trust. One penny in a jar for 365 is $3.65. If I build trust with you, and I put a penny in the jar every day, and you trust me, but then I lie to you, I hide from you, I slander you, I make withdrawals from that $3.65 in bigger increments, 25 cents and 50 cents mistakes, and a dollar of mistake, and two dollars of mistake. Maybe you've been married with someone for 10 or 20 years, and you got lots and lots of investment, and then someone makes a boneheaded, stupid decision and withdraws 10 bucks. How long is it going to take to rebuild that trust? Lots of pennies in the jar. Lots of pennies in the jar. Lots of pennies in the jar. But this is how God can work in us. I forgive you, I love you, but I don't trust you. And trust is rebuilt over time. And as you rebuild trust, 
There's possibilities and hopes and things that can change, but you can do it in a way that's loving and you can live at peace with someone while you're rebuilding trust, not bitter, not angry, because here's the alternative. Someone hurts you really bad. All of us have been there. Maybe it's a friend, a coworker, maybe it's a spouse, a child, a parent. They hurt you, mistreated you really bad. You can be angry with them. You should be angry. You can gossip about them. You can slander about them. You can say bad things. You can make them feel like they have to pay for their mistakes because you have a record of wrongs and you will exact vengeance from them. You can do all that. And honestly, when you do that, it feels really good, doesn't it? Like when I say bad, when you hurt me badly and I can throw you under the bus to my family and friends, I love it. That's super fun for a short amount of time. It feels good for a time to hold someone accountable for the way they hurt you, mistreated you, abused you. Hold them accountable. Feels great for a little bit of time. But it's so interesting. Oftentimes, I feel great about making you feel bad. But you go on and live your life. My ex, he or she is gone. They're doing their own thing. But I find myself changing and getting bitter and hard-hearted and I bumped into the ex-boyfriend or the ex-girlfriend or the ex-church member at Costco, and then I wind up moving my life around because I don't want to see them at that family gathering. I don't want to bump into them at the meat counter at Wegmans, so I start rearranging my whole life to stay away from the person that hurt me. Who's winning? Who's losing in that situation? You are, because you are swallowing bitterness and hate, and you're changing your life around to accommodate for them, and they're controlling your thoughts and your decisions, and you're growing more and more bitter over time. Living at peace with your ex requires me to change, not them. I'm the one. I could wait my entire life for you to ask forgiveness, for you to rebuild, try, and you'll never do it. But I can choose with the people that have hurt me in the past, I can choose to forgive. I can choose to move forward. I can say I'm going to live at peace with God. I'm gonna live at peace with other people. As far as it depends on you, you live at peace with everyone. So it's on you, right? And that may include detaching and moving away from, not hanging out with, okay, but that's on you. And if you let that bitterness and hurt and that unforgiveness that mistreatment, that slander, it begins to control you and you don't have peace any longer. The God of the universe is saying, that's no way to live. As far as it's up to you, live at peace, which requires me to do my part before God. It doesn't mean I'm always going to have peace, but I'm gonna do my part. I wanna live in such a way that I control my thoughts that I love as God commanded me to love, that I give you the benefit of the doubt, that I'm hopeful that even as the world changes and as I change, other people around me are going to change. I'm hopeful, I'm prayerful that the people that have hurt me are going to feel before God conviction of sin and change and grow, and I'm going to pray for that, hope for that. I can control my mouth and not gossip and slander. I can control my actions I can ask God to show me my sin and say, God, show me where I've been wrong. Show me all the ways I have mistreated or hurt other people, maybe this ex. 
And as God shows me my, un, my forgiveness needed and the things I want to grow in, I can give something to someone else. I can give love and forgiveness to others as I receive it, and I can create healthy boundaries. I can back away from you in love and not bitterness. I can back away and create space between me and a friend who keeps doing the same thing to me over and over again. I can back away in love and say, you know what? I'm not going to enable that kind of behavior anymore. And I can pray that God does a good work in the life of people and he does a good work in me. You have the control. The Spirit of God lives inside you. If you're a follower of Jesus, are you controlled by the Spirit of God or are you controlled by a person? A person who hurts you from the past? A person that's mistreated? Are they who control you or does God control you? With God's help, I can live at peace with everyone. And so can you. So it's a decision you make about how you spend your time and how you use your mouth and how you forgive, how you see God. All of that gives you the opportunity to change. And I know there's people in my life, probably like you, where I have done everything I possibly could to keep peace. And there's still no peace. But I can put my head on the pillow every night and say, God, today I did what I could do. You enabled me and I did what I can do so that I can sleep at night and be at peace with God even if I don't have peace with another person. That peace with God is worth everything. So when you follow God's definition of love and God's definition of lifestyle and you live with peace between you and him, it changes this even if there's conflict. Would you pray with me? God, each of us have awkward situations, people we're in conflict with. People there's heartache and brokenness. People that have mistreated and abused. Broken trust. We've all experienced this. Where we're close and then something breaks that closeness, that trust. God, I help, hope, ask that you would help us to see that it's pretty normal to have relationships that change and for trust to be broken. We're all flawed. It is how we respond to it. So we want to respond to people in awkward situations and circumstance like your son Jesus did. We want to be full of grace and truth. We don't want to be controlled by bitterness and anger and hatred. We don't want to live in the past, God. And your word says don't keep records of wrongs. So we want to be free from that tally sheet of all the things that people have done to hurt us. God, sometimes Christ followers are the most dramatic, just drama kings and drama queens. When you have called us to be sons and daughters of peace, make us in our relationships advocates of peace and not drama. You can help us with this. If there's someone that we need to forgive, show us that today, I pray. Through Christ our Lord, amen.